Hello again. Welcome to Classroom Conversations. If you're an educator or administrator listening in, we're so glad you're here. I'm Ashley Mingwasser, your series speaker, inquisitive interviewer, exclamatory endorser, a.k.a. host. The Classroom Conversations podcast series is presented jointly by the Georgia Department of Education and Georgia Public Broadcasting. Classroom Conversations is the platform for Georgia's teachers. And over this season, we've happily developed our administrative listenership by featuring episodes on the topic of literacy leadership. And we've hosted the vanguard of that effort in our episodes this season. Just go back and listen to them. Well, today I've got another foremost literacy leader for you. You know, there are whole careers built on intervening when there is a problem. Um, From my favorite to hyphenated family surnames, Miriam Webster, the word intervention means to take action on something, to have an effect on its outcome. Firefighters run toward the blaze. Think about it. Epidemiologists go toward an outbreak. Surgeons toward the bleed. Taylor Swift's bodyguards on her 2023 Eras Tour toward the screaming fans. In all of these situations, we need brave, visionary leaders who will turn and face a challenge head on to affect a better outcome. Well, I've got one of these brave souls here today to discuss today's topic, literacy interventions for grades 4 through 12. It's my guest's 19th year in education and her third as assistant principal of curriculum and instruction for Wayne County High School. What does she enjoy most uh, about her job as AP of CNI? Well, she says she still gets to be in classrooms all the time. From Wayne County School District, I welcome to the show Miss Amanda Phelps. Hi there, Amanda. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Good. <laughs> I'm so glad you came. So what is the commute from Wayne County to Atlanta to our studio? Okay, so, you know, we're in the South, so we talk about commute by hours. So <laughs> it's about four hours from, from Jessup to to. Atlanta. But you spent the night overnight, so you could be here this morning. Thank you for that. You had a long drive. Uh, But you've had a longer and more rewarding career, I would say. Yes, absolutely. So it's worth it in literacy education. You were, you told me you were an instructional coach for Mm -hmm. K through five, and then you were a specialized letters trainer, Mm -hmm. letters being language essentials for teachers of reading and spelling. That's That's the acronym. And it's a program that teaches literacy skills. How did Mm -hmm. you get into this line of work? in the first place? Well, in our district, we realized that we had a large number of students who were struggling with reading foundational skills. And as a third and fourth grade teacher at the time, um, I was not prepared from college, while my college was phenomenal. (laughs) Um, I was not prepared for how to teach phonics Mm. and basic reading comprehension skills in third, fourth, fifth grade and, and higher. And so we realized we needed a program of study that would teach teachers about the science of reading and how to figure out why students are not understanding how to read and then how to um, discover which students were struggling in what areas they were struggling and what to do with it. And so as I went through the program, um, you know, I figured out, oh my goodness, this is amazing. This is something that really teaches me how to to address the specific needs of our students. And so we were given the privilege for some of us to become facilitators. And I say, count me in. 
and um, and it kind of went from there. Went from there. Did you always know you wanted to work in education back in your your teacher days? Yes, you did. Yes. Oh my gosh! Mm-hmm. From a young age, I did. Yes, I had an opportunity as a middle schooler to be a peer mentor to another student, oh, and from school. them forward, yep, I knew teaching was my thing. We hear that often. Mm-hmm. I love how how easily and how. Um, divinely it seems to click Mm -hmm. in for people what about your your personal and family life and as usual with educators your personal and professional lives intersect because you have a student in your school who is your child Mm -hmm. doesn't get more personal than that that's correct that's correct Um, I've been married to my husband for 18 years and those of us who are in education know that it's (laughs) education is a family commitment um, all spouses have helped grade papers at some point in time. Or, <laughs> really? Yes, or heard our conversations about all the different ways we could use a plate to teach fractions while we're in the grocery store. <laughs> um, and, and my husband, of course, is wonderful and has helped him with all those things. I have a daughter who's four, and, excuse me, who's six, and she's in kindergarten this year, and a son who is 14 as a freshman. Um, so I have one child on the entrance, you know, early of, learning. Yes, ages. Yeah. yes. And one at the beginning of entering school and one who's a freshman on the cusp of moving into adulthood as he as he finishes our school career in, in Wayne County. So it's fun to get to experience that on both ends of the spectrum. That is fun. And how does he feel about it, though? How does he feel about mom being uh, in the building? <laughs> Um, it depends on the day. Yeah. Normally he kind of gives me the small wave and it's like, mom, you know, please don't come in my classroom. Um, <laughs> but wave. yeah, just kind of the guy wave, but, um, he's, he's pretty okay with it. <laughs> I feel like the guy wave, is that a thing that needs to be a thing? <laughs> so. Let's market this. The guy wave. I knew exactly right? what you meant when you said that. Have you ever had to call him out over the PA speaker at school? No, I have not. <laughs> not yet. But I did go into an observation in one of his classrooms, um, not too long ago and his eyes were as big as saucers. Like, oh my gosh, he'd give me the look across the room mom do not say anything to me (laughs) in this classroom (laughs) most students are thinking the assistant principal is here and he's thinking my mom is here (laughs) that's exactly right different experience (laughs) yes do you have any Phelps family traditions when it comes to literacy I know you you say your husband's been involved in supporting your career and I'm sure that your literacy work kind of bleeds into the home Mm -hmm. it does you know our family all four of us are very avid readers. My daughter and I like to read, you know, picture books and novels in the traditional sense of reading. And my husband and son are more non-traditional readers with, you know, researching articles on sports or sciences or social sciences. Um, but I think my favorite tradition in our family revolves around Christmas. Oh. And yeah, so as we get closer to Christmas, we start bringing out the picture books that everyone knows about that we like to read um, as we lead up to it. But on Christmas Eve, after we've gone to our candlelight service and we've had um, our finger foods that we eat at home and watched our movies, we all come together in the living room and my husband sits in his chair and my daughter climbs into his lap and my son um, kind of sits on the edge of the chair and we go through and we sit together as a family and we read all these Christmas stories. We read Twas the Night Before Christmas and How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And there's a little story called Snowman at Night that's really cute. And oh, we I read, don't know that one. Oh, yeah, Snowman it's a good night. one. Yeah, it's not really Christmas related. It's more winter to winter related, but it's a lot of fun. Um, and we read Luke chapter two from the Bible. And we just have that time to sit together as a family and really think about through the literature that we've read. Um, the meaning of Christmas and what it's really about. It's just a, it's a beautiful time that I hope my children will go back and, you know, share it with their children. It's Carry just, that torch. Absolutely. That such a cozy tradition. I'm glad so I asked fun. you that. 
uh, Amanda, or Miss Phelps, as your students call you. <laughs> You're great at the three L's. You're a great listener. I loved chatting with you when we first met on the phone. You're a great listener. You're great at literacy. And you are great at the letters program. You told me <laughs> letters, L-E-T-R-S, truly changed the way that you train. How is it that? Did. Um, before we started looking at letters, we used more of a balanced literacy approach, which was a way to kind of delve into comprehension and kind of learn as you do. Um, but letters kind of told us that you really need to approach it from a foundational perspective, kind of like playing a basketball game. Um, you can have a player that jumps into the game and immediately starts playing and you're, you're having to teach them as you go through the process and they're just trying to figure it out. But letters showed us that we really need to teach those skills, how to dribble, then how to mm. pass the ball. Or in literacy terms, how do we um, understand letters and what they, letters as in L-E-T-T-E-R-S, <laughs> how do we understand symbols and language and how does the brain absorb that and how does it process it? Yeah. How do we teach students to use basic phonics skills and decoding and fluency and all those nuances that go with the language to build up so that when they go and start comprehending text and really trying to read or as if they were going into the basketball game, they already have the skills and knowledge they need to be more successful. Yes. To continue your metaphor, the game's important, but mm -hmm. the skills are what make the win. That's exactly right. Yeah, absolutely. You're looking at each disparate skill. I think that's really good. Well, let's talk about high schoolers, uh, mm -hmm. now that you're assistant principal, Wayne County High School. Any aha moments about high school students, things you've realized about them? I think the most important thing that I've realized about high school students is that, and this is going to sound crazy, but they are people. They're oh, yeah. not just kids. They are, they are individuals who want to be respected. They want to be mature. They want to be adults. And they want to be spoken to as their adult, as an adult. And but they have this, you know, lack of experience. So they're really right there on the edge. They want to be adults, but sometimes they don't quite know how. And so we, you know, as leaders get an opportunity to really teach them life skills. So when we're, you know, dealing with discipline with a student, we really get a chance to say, all right, why did this go wrong? What happened in your situation? Um, and when we talk to them with respect and say, listen, I'm not here to you know, yell at you or anything. I just want us to figure out what's going on here and how we can get you in a better place. Of course, there has to be discipline, but students respond so well to being respected. They just want to be heard. They want to be heard mm -hmm. and they want to be listened to and they want to have an opportunity to express themselves. And most of the time when they have that moment to get it out of their system, you can just watch their body de-escalate wow. and just the tension relaxes most of the time, not all the time. But most of the time, you've through that you've also get the opportunity to build those relationships with the kids. Yeah. So. Do they do they take something away from that interaction with you? Can they self reflect and move ahead and make change in their own lives? Most of the time. Yeah. You know, it's never perfect. Um, sometimes it takes multiple times to um, to fail and have to learn again. And we have a really amazing administrative team. There are. Um, four of us as assistant principals, because we have over 1,400 students in oh, our school. Oh, wow. Big school. And mm -hmm, we have one administrator, or one, excuse me, principal. And so between the four of us as assistant principals and the, and the principal, there's somebody that has a connection with almost all the students in the building. 
um, and those relationships that we get to build. So it's really a lot of fun. We have a great time. Yeah, that matters, building those relationships. Tell us about your school story, particularly a little bit more about the the literacy story there. Mm -hmm. You mentioned it in the beginning. Yeah, yeah, of course. So, you know, like all or most high schools, when we began our journey, we addressed literacy or interventions. Let's talk about that first. We we addressed interventions through academic performance, behavioral discipline, and course completion. And that worked, and it was a great thing. But we decided, you know, we really need to look at the root of a problem. Our principal is amazing and really tries to delve into what's really causing problems within our, our building when it comes to literacy and how do we fix it instead of just put a Band-Aid on it. Yes. And so we said, well, you know what? We're seeing data that says our students are struggling with standards-based misunderstandings. So then we approached it that way and said, okay, let's look at standards-based review and remediation with our students. But as we began to look more closely at our data and talk to the teachers and really see what was going on, we realized we had a much deeper concern, particularly with a specific group of students, when we realized they did not have foundational reading skills. Wow. So for me, coming from an elementary background, I'm like, yes, I know what to do with <laughs> I this. know what to do here. <laughs> yes. Um, but for, you know, the typical high school teacher, when you say, hey, we're going to teach phonics to our students, they are thinking, what? What? I don't, I don't even know what that is, you know, which our teachers are amazing. Um, but we had to really go back and we completely regroup. Mm. Um, so what we did was we began to look at the eighth grade students coming up before they even entered high school. And we looked at their reading diagnostic data. We used the iReady program for diagnostics and star reading um, assessments. Coming into high school, we said, all right, where are they scoring here? And then we strategically placed them in intervention classes with teachers. Well, these are regular ninth grade lit classes, and, but we placed them in classes that had intervention teachers that were trained in letters. Um, and so we have block scheduling, which means we have four 90-minute blocks per semester, and they complete a whole course in a semester. The next semester, they move on to another you know, set of four 90-minute classes. But we scheduled and we planned our ninth grade lit class to be a support year-long course. So these students that we found out had these most intensive deficiencies in reading, we strategically placed them in these classes. And we said, if we can target ninth graders and really fill in those gaps mm. and com- and um, com- kind of clear up those um, misunderstandings in foundational reading skills before they move forward, then as 10th, 11th, and 12th graders, we can continue looking at academics, behavior, and course completion. But not until. But not until. That's right. Yeah. Not until we short up those those reading deficiencies. And so we strategically placed them. We decided we're going to focus on ninth grade students for reading literacy interventions. Um, and then once they got into those courses, we began doing additional diagnostic testing. And we looked at the Dibbles fluency test and said, all right, which ones of our students are struggling with basic fluency? We delved a little deeper and said, okay, well, let's look at um, the star reading comprehension test again after the summer slide and get a real true baseline for where they are now. We also completed the informal decoding inventory, which helps test helps us analyze and see what phonics skills our students were struggling in. Did they know all the seven syllable types plus schwa? Could they 
um, break apart and read multisyllabic words. Um, and from there, if we needed to, we continued backwards in testing, and I don't want to say backwards in a, in a negative way, but moved into more, you know, a little bit lower level testing to see if we needed to go back to possibly an informal phonics inventory, which amazingly enough, we found out we did have to do mm-hmm. on several students. We even had to back up for a couple more students and give the past assessment, which is the phonemic awareness screening test, because we realized we had some students that came up that did not, were not comfortable with basic letter sounds and words, initial sounds, medial sounds, and ending sounds. Um, And then from there, once we found the root of the problem for each of these students, we were able to plan interventions um, moving forward to meet those needs. So it's been a process and it's been a a couple of opportunities where we've had to stop midstream and say, whoa, (laughs) this is not working quite the way we've wanted. Um, Let's make some course corrections and adjustments and move forward. But we've got a plan in place now where we're really beginning to see a lot of student growth. And and it's a beautiful thing. And it sounds like this process, you said it is a process and it's iterative. You've got to go back and try some things and then keep them moving ahead. And if you lose one person, go back a little earlier and get them on board on the ship. Um, I feel like this must promote like a real unity in the school. You said you have such Mm -hmm. great administration and your principal. Mm -hmm. Uh, You you told me a great story about, about the culture at Wayne County High School uh, mm-hmm. that involves a principal. Would you share that with our audience? I'm trying to remember which story. Something about, about the announcements. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> I love this. So, you know, Wayne County is strong in what we call yellow jacket pride. Um, that's, that's, we're the Wayne County Yellow Jackets. That's our school, um, our school um, mascot. mascot. Yes. And so we have five elementary schools, two middle and one High school. Wow. So all the students in the county at some point in time funnel through Wayne County. They High swarm school. in. They <laughs> swarm in. Um, and so, you know, every day our principal, and he, like I said, he's amazing. He um, reads the morning announcements because he wants the students to be able to hear his voice and make that connection. He goes back through the rules again. And he, um, he always ends with, it's a good day to have a good day. It's a great day to be a yellow jacket. And as always, go jackets. And so what's funny is I'll be walking down the hallways, you know, going to see a class or talk to a teacher or check on something. And I'll hear kids walking down the hallway beside me and they're whispering those last few things together. And as always, go jackets. Go jackets. And so, yeah. Go jackets. And so you've got that sense of, um, of yellow jacket pride in there. And it's really cool because... That sense of pride also filters out into the community. So we have citizens in the community and um, generations of yellow jackets mm-hmm. who come in and they support our athletics and academics. And, you know, we've got kids in the elementary and middle settings that come to our high school and they watch plays and become um, and they participate in camps because they all want to be like the high school students. Of course. And we have high school students that go to the elementary schools and out into the communities and they read books to kids and. Um, they go to service projects. Go Jackets resonates with me. I also think about if you do have students who are going back to review their phonemic awareness Mm -hmm. or they're taking some of these inventories and kind of working on that, you know, they master that test. That's a Go Jackets. Absolutely. And I feel like that could kind of help pull students up by their bootstraps. As we're thinking about how your students are reacting to these types of literacy interventions, even the name of the course, Let's Support. Mm -hmm. Is there any piece of them that you see from within the students receiving the support that is self-conscious mm-hmm. um, or even from their peers? Is there is there anything they're getting feedback-wise in their environment that makes them feel less than for being in this sort of in support capacity with their reading? 
initially, you know, we do have students that will say, oh, man, let's support. This is year long. It's taken away from an opportunity, I think, to participate in one of my other electives. Something else. Yeah. yeah. And when it says support, the title of it kind of throws kids on occasion. But, you know, we really don't have a lot of students that, you know, antagonize other students because of that. That's just really not a big part of our culture. And our teachers work so hard to talk to students about, okay, listen, and this this is a one-on-one conversation they'll have with students, not necessarily in front of the whole class, but I told you earlier that they're very real with the kids, and they will sit one-on-one with the student if the student is struggling with this, being in this class, and say, all right, remember what we talked about with your goal. You, this is what your diagnostic data showed us, that you have this reading concern, and buddy, if if you want to not be in this class anymore, let me help you. Yeah. Let's work together and let's get you to a place where you're reading more confidently. And what we've seen is that that builds a sense of motivation in students. It agency. Also, yes, yeah. it does. They want to get better. Um, they want to get better anyways, but for those that don't want to be in that class, they want to get better so they cannot have to necessarily be in a support class. Um, and, what we also see is the students helping each other in those classes. So it builds the sense of collective efficacy within the classroom, um, and which we know research tells us that collective efficacy builds self-efficacy. Oh, wow. And so we... I would think it would be the opposite. Yeah, right? But it really does. And we've seen it in our classrooms. And our teachers kind of help motivate students and say, all right, remember you said earlier you want to get out of this class? Man, I need you to focus. Let's get this done. And they're like, yeah, I got it. Most of the time, they are teenagers. <laughs> I love the caveat from the They are teenagers. <laughs> well, you know, um, that's life. Yeah. But, but overall, they really, you know, dive into it and want to do better. We're going to talk about uh, the word interventions and some more of the ones that you have just kind of taken us through uh, during this episode. But the word itself, interventions, can sound maybe a little a little vague if mm-hmm. we don't know exactly what mechanisms we're referring to. But could you just start us with the definition? What kinds of approaches or what do we mean when we say interventions in a school setting when we're talking about literacy? Mm-hmm. When we say interventions, we are meaning providing what each student needs in order to be successful. And for intervention purposes, most of the time that comes down to a gap in understanding. So whether it's a gap in literacy understanding, like a foundational reading skill that we talked about before, or even if it's something that is standards-based that we see the teachers are teaching main idea and details and we realize, oh my goodness, the student does not necessarily understand this, what a, how to find a supporting detail that's not extraneous, then that would be an intervention that we provide. From an administrative level, we focus our interventions primarily on those foundational skills we talked about. I got you. Okay. And what kind of training have your intervention teachers received mm-hmm. to address the needs of struggling students? Each of our intervention teachers have been through letters training. And we talked about that just a little, a few minutes ago, where it's focused in the science of reading. Right. And So one of the things we pull from that training a lot that we talk about is Scarborough's Reading Rope. And Scarborough's Reading Rope tells us the different different levels and different skills that students have to be able to perform and effectively mentally um, complete in order to be skilled readers. And so in our intervention program at the high school and in the middle and elementary for that matter, one of the things that we start with is that bottom level of Scarborough's Reading Rope where we look at decoding. And um, and 
um, phonics and phonemic awareness and those word skills because we know that's the foundation that they need in order to move into the higher level of Scarborough's reading rope where then we can then work on building their background knowledge and their comprehension and understanding, building those tier two and tier three vocabulary words, um, looking at syntax in, in texts and being able to move forward that way. And we know that from Scarborough's reading work and our work in letters training that we have to be able to address all these things, both elements of that research for our students to be skilled and effective, not just in school and in high school, but, you know, as effective citizens. We right. want them to be able to go out into the community and be able to read a newspaper exactly. or, um, or read an article on their on phones. On their devices. Or, yes. Exactly. <laughs> I knew where you are going with that. There you go. <laughs> uh, how have these interventions and what your teachers are doing with students created a, then a safe space for literacy learning with high schoolers? You know, I would attribute 100% of this to the dynamic teachers in those classrooms. Um, they have a open classroom mindset, so students know that if they're struggling and reading in, let's say, their biology class, they can come to their reading intervention, their ninth grade lit teacher, and they can talk to them about it. And it's just that open environment that they can come to their teacher with whatever reading deficiency they're having across the building. Their teachers also maintain a growth mindset with the kids, so they are very real with their students at the beginning of the year. They take the diagnostic data and they sit down with the students say and say, this is where you are right now, and we know that you have the potential to grow, so here's what I'm going to do to help you. I'm going to help you provide these interventions. What are you going to do mm. as a person who's almost an adult? Almost an adult and wants to right. be treated like one. That's exactly right. And so they set goals with the students and they say, okay, so where do you want to be when we do our next diagnostic? Or where do you want to do be when we do our next um, progress monitoring? And after they um, complete those interventions and they have that next set of piece of data, they sit down with them again and say, all right, did we make the growth that we wanted to make? Why or why not? And how are we going to keep growing? Most of the time it's celebrations. And they see a lot of growth very quickly at the beginning um, because they're shoring up little skills that they need to yeah. complete. But they kind of hit a little bit of a rut normally towards the middle of the semester because now they're getting to the point where it's a little bit harder to yeah. make that growth. And so they have those positive conversations and celebrations with their students um, and say, hey, listen, you know, I'm so proud of you. Don't stop. Yeah. Don't give up. Let's keep going. Stay with me. We're going to get you there. They provide a lot of structure and routine, which helps the students feel safe in that, that positive learning environment. And I think the most important thing that they do in building these relationships with students is they maintain high expectations for these children. And so a lot of times that kind of goes against the grain for what we naturally would think that if people are struggling, you want to kind of lower the bar a little yeah, bit. Take off so the that, pressure, yeah. ease up. Yeah, but that's not how they work. Yeah. And it's a great thing because they provide these high levels of expectations, but they also provide high levels of support. Right. So they're helping the students reach that high level of success. And as the students reach success, they begin slowly pulling back on those scaffolding and on um, those levels of support. So it's almost like the learners are being able to stand on their own legs. Yeah. Um, Leave the hive. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. And, and so the students trust that. They trust it. How mm -hmm. are they reacting to this? I mean, you, you told me exactly that they know what mechanisms are in place. They can go to their teachers, their support. Mm -hmm. Do they, does, the, does this culture of fear around this or kind of 
Is there ever a fear of failure if they feel like they are behind with reading that can melt away as a result of this approach? There is a sense of hesitancy more so than fear um, for our students when they come into their ninth grade support class and the teachers sit down. And like I said, they're very real with the students and they say, listen, this is where you are, buddy. Yeah, (laughs) you're here because we want to help you and you have some gaps in your understanding. Um, So there is that sense of hesitancy, but you know, over time, being able to um, build those relationships with the teachers, they really begin buying into the process. Um, our teachers have found high interest, low Lexile level texts. Oh. So the students in the high school don't feel like, oh, my goodness, I'm looking at something from an elementary school student. And I will say that was one of our big failures to start off with. Okay. And I will own a lot of that because I told you earlier, whenever we saw these deficiencies, I was like, yes, I know <laughs> what to do with this. Let me bring in some elementary stuff. Um, and the skills we brought in were great and they fit the need, but the resources we brought in were very um, immature for our high school students. Okay. And that's where we had to say, okay, wait a minute. These skills are great, but we are losing these high schoolers. So we found those high interest, low Lexile text. We began using multisyllabic tier two words. Those are words that students will see across multiple contents um, that they will see a lot and use those when we started practicing decoding. And we would have students come back and the teachers would tell me, oh my gosh, this kid came back to me and they're so excited because they saw a word that we decoded today in their biology class. And they knew the answer and they were able to raise their hand and confidently communicate in their biology class because what they had done in ninth grade lit. Yes. And so it's just, and those are things that warm my heart, you know, that we're really building capacity in our kids and in our teachers. And it underscores the significance of this learning because it is applied. It, mm-hmm. it, they see it in their texts in the upper grades. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. What is the multi-tier system of supports, MTSS process that your school uses to place high school students in a given intervention? Mm-hmm. How do you go about that? That's a great question. So our our multi-tier system of support process is kind of a little bit like what we talked about earlier. We start with the end of year eighth grade data and we look at the students that they've identified and we take that, let's, let's talk literacy particularly, we take that comprehension data from their star reading assessment and their I-ready reading diagnostic and we strategically place them in those classes. And then again, we go back through and we test them again at the beginning of the year in the informal decoding inventory, Dibble's fluency assessment, and star reading comprehension again, just to kind of, again, to make sure we fill in and see where they are as they come in our building. And then for the students who are more intensive, that need more intensive intervention, we place them in one of our year-long support classes where that first semester, all they look at and all they work on are basic reading interventions for decoding, fluency, comprehension, phonics, phonemic awareness. That's all they do with a little bit of work in our power standards that are vertical across the um, reading curriculum and reading standards for the state of Georgia, like main idea and detail, Mm. inferencing, um, identifying theme and mood, those that they need to have already in place as they move into the regular ninth grade lit curriculum, second semester. And we have another ninth grade lit support class that's a little bit higher level that still does some work with basic foundational skills, but that class is more intended to be heavy on those power standards, main idea detail, um, 
writing, uh, inferencing those skills, and a little less heavy on the basic foundational skills. And then we have our traditional regular ninth grade lit class that might that are for our tier one students, or maybe those students that just need um, consultative check-in. Yeah. So we really try to strategically place them in a class where they can get the most support based on whatever that individual student needs. Right. So that is a class. It's not an after-school program. No. It happens during the school day. Yes. So it is It is uh, supporting and undergirding their learning. Correct. Very yes. good. That makes sense. Okay. You've told us some amazing things today, Amanda, that uh, the, the process of intervention and literacy is intensive. There's yes. A, there's a lot of work. It's intensive. It's iterative. I'm trying to think of what other I words I can come up with. <laughs> It's, but it's also illuminating because mm-hmm. with that data, you're able to place them exactly where they need to be on the path so that they can get caught up. What advice do you have for other high or middle schools uh, mm-hmm. later in their learning of reading for developing literacy interventions because these are older students? Mm-hmm. What do you have advice? One piece of advice that we have been through and have learned from experience is to make sure when you're developing your intervention and your program that you look at the root of the problem. What is truly the problem in this in your literacy capacity or within your building and your students? We have great tier one teaching best practices across the state of Georgia, but so many times we have these great practices that we're, our teachers are teaching their heart out, but they're not addressing what the student actually needs at that moment. We have teachers that are teaching all about inferencing, but the student can't read. Uh. And so the first thing that I would suggest is to make sure that you, as you're developing your program, you have processes in place to find out what the true need of each individual student is. The second thing that I would suggest is to make sure, just like we said a moment ago, that your interventions match the need. And as you're training your teachers on those interventions, make sure that it's an ongoing process. We noticed that for a while we would try this um, skill or try this practice and Part of my fault as a new administrator was I didn't follow up as much on it. And so I found one of my teachers later that said, I just don't know what I'm doing. And I was like, oh, wait, we have this great strategy. Yeah, you got it, girl. <laughs> and she's like, no, I don't. I don't. I don't got it. Yeah, I don't <laughs> got it. So make sure to provide ongoing professional development and go. practice for your teachers that are in this intervention process. Um, and I think the third thing that I would really suggest is to complete that plan, do, check, act model where you plan your program, you plan your interventions and your diagnostic, then you enact it, of course. Do. Do it. Mm -hmm. And then don't forget to stop and check periodically and look back and say, what is our data telling us? Are our students learning? Is this program effective? Are the interventions we are using moving students? Um, we, and I can tell you from our experience, our first year that we were trying all this stuff out, we went a little too far before we stopped and checked and we looked back and said, okay, that's great. Our students are growing, but they're not growing as much as we thought. Right. But so go ahead and plan those pulse checks in the middle of your process in your year to make sure that you can see that it's all moving effectively and you're growing students. Cause that's what it's all about. And then if there needs to be course corrections in the middle, make those course corrections and act on those changes because whatever, at the heart of everything we do, it's all about student achievement and making sure that we're building students' capacity to be effective citizens through their ability to, to read and comprehend. And so we, we want to make sure that we st- go back and check and make sure that everything's moving effectively. Right. Reading leads to effective citizens. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. No more poetic words to end on than that. (laughs) 
Thank you so much, Amanda. You are a firefighter, an epidemiologist, a surgeon, <laughs> and a Taylor Swift bodyguard all rolled into one. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for being here today. It's been a pleasure. Uh, and thank you for being on the front line of literacy education. For our leaders listening, making waves to improve literacy in Georgia, you're a great leader. And if you're working with students one-on-one in the classroom on this, you're a great teacher. We believe it. I think we need the wise words of a boxer right now. How about float like a butterfly, sting like a yellow jacket? to quote Muhammad Ali and adapt him. I'm Ashley. Goodbye for now. We're back soon with more enriching education topics on Classroom Conversations. Goodbye. Funding for Classroom Conversations is made possible through the School Climate Transformation Grant. 